0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. We've been looking at the Christmas story from the view of the angels who are very prevalent in all of the narratives. And today I want to read with you one of the most famous and familiar of the Christmas narratives. It comes from Luke chapter 2. So I love it when you, as the church, read the word with me. So let's read out loud together. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, So we've been looking at the fact that the Bible reveals that there is a closeness of the spiritual realm. In the scripture, it's called the heavenly realm, the realm of angels, the realm of demons. And this realm intersects with your reality. It intersects with the physical realm. So much so that the Bible actually says that many of you have actually interacted with angels before, but you were unaware of it. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So now the angels are not unaware. You're just unaware. <laughs> they are perfectly aware of you. Now some people will mistakenly think, well, these are the people in my life that God uses. Yes, God uses messengers in your life but this is actual spiritual beings who come from the heavenly realm and who invisibly do the will of God in your life. And so we have so much more going on in our lives than we ourselves can actually see and we can touch. This this angelic group they actually constitute a supernatural heavenly family of God. Now God, you see in everything that God does, he does it in family. And so the angels are his heavenly families. There are two family branches, a heavenly branch and an earthly one. And these angels, this heavenly family of our Father, are incredibly interested in you. Even when you're not that interested in you, they are interested in you. You know why? Because they know what God is doing. God is taking all of history and he's funneling it toward a great family reunion when the earthly branch of God's family and and the heavenly branch of God's family are brought together in the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, there will be a day when we'll have this huge family reunion because Jesus wasn't just reconciling you to God. He was reconciling you to your earthly family and he was reconciling you to his heavenly family. Now, one of the things about the angels that the scripture is pretty clear is they're not all powerful, though they are powerful and glorious. They are not omniscient, though they know what God wants them to know. And they cannot be everywhere at the same time. Now, this is important to understand. This is true of demons as well. Demons cannot be everywhere. They do not know everything. They do study the scriptures. And sometimes they are better theologians than some of us because they, they know the Bible from front, front to back, but they cannot know everything, and they cannot and do not know the future. And that is true of both demons and angels, because they are of the same, they, they are constituted of the same realm. One fallen, one still obedient, servants of the Lord. Now, what we want to look at today, we've been looking at the different aspects, like that the angels, what they they're all about is they're all about doing the will of God. They never bring glory to themselves. They're always bringing glory to God. They always do what they are commissioned to do and nothing more. But today we want to look at what do they want to say. Now, this might be a kind of a strange thing because you're used to hearing heart the herald angels sing or sing choirs of angels, But in verse 13, it doesn't say they are singing. It says they are saying. So in verse 13, it says, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. Now you might say, there you go, preacher, messing up one more thing for me. I thought it was so much fun to sing about the angels singing. But the truth is, in this passage, it speaks about what they have to say. Now at the end today, I'm going to try to do a little bit of a theological Christmas miracle and show why they're saying has even more meaning than just to say something. But at first, what I'd like you to realize is what they say is exactly what we need to hear. And if you will let what they say come into your heart, it will transform you not just for Christmas, but for every day of your life, for the rest of your life. Now here is what we see is that Around Christmas, they come and speak to three individuals and then to a group. So the first individual they come to speak to, that this angel comes to speak to, is Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is an old man. He's been a faithful, devoted servant of God, but he has never had children. And in the ancient world, if you didn't have children, you had no heir, you had no legacy. And so he's lived his life with kind of a frustration in his devotion to God and the angel comes and says you're going to have a son and that son is John you see I grew up Presbyterian so we didn't call him the Baptist because that would give the Baptist too much credit so uh, we called him John the baptizer just to kind of avoid that a little bit but he, he he's going to be the father of John but you see Elizabeth is beyond childbearing years and so it's going to take a miracle so the angel comes and announces that. Then, you know, he comes to a teenage girl who has never had relations with a man, but who is engaged. And he says to her, you're going to have a baby. And then he comes to Joseph, who is her betrothed, and says, you're going to take this woman and you're going to make her your wife. And then he comes to the shepherds and says, you're going to find the king of kings in a manger. So you have, you have these four different instances where it's probably one angel and his name is Gabriel. So you've got to understand the nature of this account. It's been 500 years since the angels have visited and brought any revelation of God. It's been 500 years since any human beings that we know of have had this kind of a visitation and an So this is an epic event. God has been silent for hundreds of years. This event has amazing significance. Now, remember what I said. Angels are not eternal. They had a beginning. They are bound in some ways to time. They have been waiting for 500 years in order to see this incredible thing that God is about to do. So what I would like you to do is to press into, you have the Holy Spirit. I'm asking you to press into a sanctified imagination at this point of this epic event and how it stirred all of heaven with excitement and with anticipation. Now, the closest analogy I have to this is there's a Christmas Eve service in England. It's at King's College. It's called the uh, Lessons and Carols. And every year, there is a, a single uh, boy soloist who is chosen, the one with the kind of piercing soprano, who would start this concert and sing this kind of, you know, credible song. But no one in the choir knows who that boy is going to be until the moment the conductor points at him. So they all come in. And any one of them could be the soloist. They do not know. So they are all prepared. And then when it's time, the conductor nods. And the boy sings. Everybody up there was ready. But the one gets the nod. And in a way, if you think about it, for 500 years, the angels have been preparing for this message. They've been preparing for this moment. And then Gabriel gets the nod, and God sends Gabriel to speak to all four of these epic events, these revelatory moments. Now, again, I'm asking your imagination to go with me. So Gabriel comes back. It's the moment they've all been waiting for. So the angels begin to press in to Gabriel. Now, they don't press in like New Yorkers, they press in like angels, okay? <laughs> But they come in and they draw close and they say to him, because they don't know, unless they're told, what did you tell them? And so Gabriel goes, well, I went to Zechariah and I said, fear not. And then I went to Mary and I said, fear not. And then I went to Joseph and I knew he was going to be afraid, so I just left him sleeping. (laughs) And still in his dreams, I had to say, fear not. Now, again, imagination. But suppose one of the angels way back in the back hadn't heard about all the other three and says, well, what would you say to the fourth one? And all the angels said, well, he said, fear not. (laughs) Do you understand? We can't even hear the message because of our fear. Fear makes it to where you can't hear truth. Fear makes it where you can't hear God. Fear makes it where you can't even see the messenger of God. And he had to say four times, fear not, before he could say anything else. Now, the interesting thing is if you study the Gospels, the most common word Jesus gives to everybody is equally fear not. So it doesn't end with the angels. So, Here's where I want to get at this passage with you and and how the angels can reveal transformation for your heart. So the message begins with fear not, but then he connects it to the good news of verse 13, uh, verse 11, I'm sorry. And the word that he says is for, which is really another word for because or the cause of now the end of your fear is that a savior is born. So here's what the angel is basically saying. If you have a Savior, you don't have to have fear. If you have fear, then you need a Savior. But here's the problem with so many of us. We still live in fear even though we say we have a Savior. Because we haven't allowed the Savior to go to the root of our fears. We haven't allowed the Savior to be the cause of the end of our fear. We continue to try to save ourselves We continue to look to others who will save us. We look to our jobs, our family, our health, or whatever it is to save us. And so anything that we're trying to use to save us can be touched. So therefore, we continue in fear, even though we say we have a Savior. You see, if you have a Savior, then you can't have fear. And if you have fear, then you're not really letting Him be your Savior. And so this is this is one of the most important messages of Christmas. Do you understand? If you allow fear. Then you're not allowing a savior. And if you truly allow him to be your savior. Then you're not allowing fear to have bondage in your life. It's as simple as this with fear. You can't just say to fear, go away, fear. Fear doesn't go away just because you tell it to. Matter of fact, the more you focus on fear, the more fear becomes more real to you. So, fear is different from other negative emotions. You have to have something you believe is stronger than the thing you fear. So, what if I changed the word from savior and said, You have a bodyguard? In other words, if you have a bully, then you just need to get somebody bigger than the bully. Because once you have somebody bigger and more powerful than the bully, then you're not afraid of the bully anymore. Are you just listening or are you tracking with me in this? So the angel's message to us is there's a remedy. There's a bodyguard for the bully. Okay? So I want to point you to what I think is the best commentary on the angel's message and on Christmas. And I think that's Hebrews chapter 2. Now, it's, it's a very real situation that Hebrews 2 speaks into. Becoming a Christian meant that you, you were then threatened with death, at least imprisonment by the Roman government. There was a, a bit of a loophole that if you were Jewish, you could go back to Judaism and practice your religion with the Roman protection. But you could not be a Christian because Nero hated Christians and wanted all Christians dead. And so many people renounced their faith, went back to their their religion, their old religion, in order to escape persecution because they feared death. And so what the writer of Hebrews says is this, fear will cause you to drift. Because when you fear, you lose your anchor. And having lost your anchor, basically says you drift from your Savior. Now, on the day of Pentecost, people hearing the message of Jesus, seeing the power of the Holy Spirit on the Apostle Peter, said, what must we do to be saved? Well, Hebrews 2, in some ways, is a chapter on what, you, what must I do to be lost. And what it basically says is you just have to do nothing. Because there's a current of, there's a current that fear has that gives access to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when you give fear the current of your life, you will drift away from God. You won't stay where you were. You'll go where you don't want to be. And one writer said it this way, the protection against drifting is to have Christ as once the anchor and the rudder of life. The anchor will hold us to the truth while the rudder will guide us by the truth. Here is the the reality, friends. If what you believe is not true, what you feel will not be real. And if what you're feeling is not real, then you're going to act and react in ways that lead to destruction in your life. So we must get at, what am I believing? Now, some people who are Christians love to deny the reality of their fear, but their fear is very real. And so instead of denying that reality, it's important to bring up your fear. It's important to say, Lord, I'm afraid of this. Lord, I'm scared of this person. I'm scared of this outcome. I'm scared of this result. I'm reacting in fear to this or that. To suppress it, friends, is not to be free from it. To restrain it is not to be free from it. The issue here is, The fear is based on some belief that you have that is founded in a lie. And the enemy is using your drift to get you into a current of destruction. I cannot emphasize enough to you, if the angel had to say four times, fear not, then it is a common problem of humans that we fear. Now, the root, some of you are like, this is Christmas message? (laughs) See, the, the root is often found in that we don't really understand the authority of the things that we believe. So here's what the writer says. He says, the law of Moses was given by the angels. This is one of the visitations of the angels. And he says, if you take that word seriously, this is people going back to the religious practices of Judaism. That said, if you take that word seriously, how much more serious is the word of the angels regarding the Son of God? And then he takes it a step farther. He says, the Son of God is not a message of angels. He's the word of God himself. And His Word supersedes and and renders obsolete any other religion because He's the Word of God. (laughs) I I love this phrase. One writer wrote it this way. We have a greater Word brought by a greater person having greater promises. But to neglect that means to have a greater condemnation. The writer of Hebrews in this chapter says this. How shall we escape If we neglect so great a salvation, what he means is you'll live in fear. And you'll have reason to fear if you have no savior. Because if you go back to religion and you try to render yourself in some way approved of God. And you do it because you fear God or you fear the punishment of God or you fear the consequences of disobedience. Do you understand you're already disobeying God? Because he didn't say do it out of fear. He said do it out of love. When you obey God out of love, you obey for God. When you obey God out of fear, you do it for you. So therefore, you're disobeying the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and strength. Now, I'm not against people complying. I'd rather live in a world where people are at least bound by morality. It would make it safer for all of us. But the truth is, being bound by morality is not saving. It's damning. Being bound by morality is like decorating a Christmas tree. It's already dead, but it looks prettier. Some of you, it takes you a minute. Don't you know in a few weeks, we're going to have piles up of dead Christmas trees. But they look pretty for a while. Being bound up morality is decorating a dead tree. That's all it is. It looks prettier than without, but it's still dead. So verse 15 makes it clear. Here's why the angel said, fear not. Because I bring to you this good news. A child, a Savior is born. Here's what, he's, here's what Hebrews writer says. What does our Savior come to accomplish? He says, to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong, lifelong slavery. So in other words, the root of all your fears is the fear of death. This is the root of every human being's fear. So if you get at the root, then you'll take away the symptoms. If you keep trying to go after the symptoms, you're still leaving the root. And and it has become more and more evident by the way that people live and the way that people protect themselves in these days that at the root of everything they're doing and saying is a fear of death. You understand what the common and the most prevalent belief right now is? You're an accident. You're a product of random collocation of atoms. Everything in your life, this is it. This day, today, this is the only day you have. You better live it to the fullest. You better eat. You better drink. You better be merry because tomorrow you die and there is no more after that. You understand what the fear of death has made it to where people are in bondage to pleasure. Because they're nothing but accidents, they abhor sacrifice. They only want what will make them happy. And I am afraid that many Christians have fallen victim to this same lie, which at its root is a fear of death. Even when you say to your children, I only want you happy. No, that's not all you want for your children. I want them to be honest. I want them to be courageous. I want them to have purity. I want them to sacrifice. I want them to be noble. Guess what? Hardly any of those make you happy. But I have found that if you pursue happiness, you never get it. But if you pursue obedience and surrender and sacrifice in the name of the love of Christ, you find happiness and nobility at the same time. But you cannot do that being afraid. You cannot be courageous and afraid. You cannot be loving and afraid. Perfect love casts out fear, which means Fear can cast out love. Are you tracking with me in this? So why is it that he says the cause of the end of our fear? Well, because we have a savior who came to put an end of the root of our fear, which is death. You understand your fear of other people's opinion is a fear of death. Your fear of failure, fear of death. Your fear of the future, fear of death. The root is there. You get rid of the root, then all the symptoms lose their power. Here's what Spurgeon said, great English preacher. I think death is the devil's masterpiece. With the solitary exception of hell, death is certainly the most satanic mischief that sin hath accomplished. You understand it's even more powerful when you say hath accomplished. It's just that much better. So nothing ever delighted the heart of the devil so much as death. Because he can use fear of death to control you. He can make it to where you believe if you don't have sexual fulfillment, you, are, you don't have anything. He can make it to where you believe if you're not wealthy, then you're nobody. He can make it to believe if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. He can make it to where your family is Everything. Because he can make you be afraid that if you don't have these things, then you're nobody. Here's an interesting thing, though. We live in a society where everybody is special. Do you understand if we're all special, then none of us are special? (laughs) By being special, we've lost our specialness. You understand? By fear, we can be manipulated into irrational emotions which then have the basis in lies. I know I sounded Southern then. Lies. I can't help it. So we have this basis in lies, which then creates feelings that are unreal. No anchor, no rudder. The basic fear that all of us are dealing with and the fear that the angel signaled had come to an end was the fear of death. You cut off that fear, and every other fear has less and less power over you. C.S. Lewis had preached a sermon at the beginning of World War II, and he's talking about this fear of death. And he said it this way. He said, All the animal life in us, all schemes of happiness that centered in this world, were always doomed to a final frustration. In ordinary times, only a wise man can realize it. Now the stupidest of us know we see unmistakably the sort of universe in which we have all along been living and must come to terms with it. If we had foolish, unchristian hopes about human culture, they are now shattered. If we thought we were building up a heaven on earth, if we look for something that would turn the present world from a place of pilgrimage into a permanent city, satisfying the soul of man, we are disillusioned and not a moment too soon. Do you understand what he's talking about? You see, World War I was the war to end all wars. And then you had even greater atrocities in World War II with the Holocaust and the, the attempt to wipe out the entire Jewish race as well as destroy the earth as we knew it. You know, and yet we are still in the, that delusion that somehow we can create a culture here on earth that has some permanent significance for us. And what comes along but COVID-19. And yes, I'm happy. I I hope I'm hoping these these, you know, these vaccines are going to work and we're all going to get to normal because I miss your faces. But I've got to tell you, if it's not COVID-19, it will be something else. Do you understand the fact that we live in a place where you can die says that this isn't the place you were designed for? That your ultimate end is not here because there are things you long for, things that you know you need and they're not provided for here. Everything else, any food that you need is here. Any kind of liquid that you need to satisfy your thirst is here. But the deepest things that your heart longs for are not here. This is not what you were designed for. You were designed for an eternal city. And you're a citizen of that city if you belong to Christ. Here's what um, Keller, Tim Keller says. Can you advance that for me? some reason I've lost the ability. I've lost power. There we go. Thank you. So here's what Keller says. The human race as a whole can't not fear and hate death. Religion gave people tools to help in facing our most formidable foe. And modern secularism has not come up with anything to compensate for its loss. Death is our great enemy more than anything. It makes a claim on each and every one of us, pursuing us relentlessly through all our days. It has been said that all the wars and plagues have never raised the death total. It has always been one death for each and every person. Come on, you got to let that sink in. I mean, we're, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about COVID-19. But death has been seeking every one of us. And unless Jesus returns, death will find all of us. And it could be through that or through something else. But the death total of human beings is always one for every person. And yet we seem far less prepared for it than our ancestors. So Hebrews 2 explains exactly what Jesus did to break the bondage of the fear of death. And this is what he did. When he died for our sins, when he rose again from the dead, this was the very thing he was born to do. And he bore the judgment of God for our sin. He became sin by going through death himself and by doing so he is broken through death. In other words, he went right into death and blew a hole out the backside of death. And any of us who will say, Lord, I take you as my savior. He says, come with me right through death and we'll go right out the backside of it. He brings us into new life. He gives us his presence even here and now throughout this life. So that any fear you're facing, you're never alone. If you say to me, I feel so alone, it's because you're not allowing yourself to feel the presence and the bond that you have with the Savior who said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You see, death is a schoolyard bully. And Jesus is the one that says, I'll fight, fight for you. If you think death is bigger than Jesus, then you have no savior. But if you think Jesus, and I've been trying to say for three weeks, Jesus with two thirds of the angelic host. That's your family now. Let me tell you something. We can fight among family, but don't let anybody outside of our family fight us. Come on, isn't that the way it was in your... Is my family the only one like that? We can say whatever about our family, but don't you say it. You understand, when you start to understand the bonds that you have, then you have no reason to be afraid. But you see, if you're afraid, then you're not realizing the truth of the bonds that you have. It was a pastor, he's, he's a very famous Philadelphia pastor. I love to listen to his sermons. I love to read his, his work. He was really used of God. And this was in a bygone era, but he lost his wife and he had a young child. I believe it was a daughter. She was nine or ten, lost her mom. And he's struggling to comfort his daughter. One day they were in the city, I believe it was in Philadelphia, and they're at the curb and all of a sudden, this bus comes barreling by. And you know how that, when that happens and you're close to the curb, it feels like the whole bus hits you. The wind and the, the rattling and all that. And it just kind of shakes you up. And he saw his daughter shaken up by that bus passing. And he saw fear in her eyes. And he looked at her and he said, it's like the, the light went on. He said, I can explain death now. He said, said, were you afraid of the bus? She said, yes. But did the bus hit you? She said, no. He said, you're right. The shadow of the bus hit you. And it did cause fear and it did shake you up. But it was just the shadow of the bus. And he said, when mom died, she only experienced the shadow of death. Because Jesus had taken the full bus, the full force of death. And your mom only experienced the shadow of death. See, that's what it is to live without fear. Yes, I'm going to face the shadow. But it's just the shadow. And I can live not afraid. Well, one other way to look at it just really quickly is that Jesus has drawn all the poison out of death. He took the full force of death, but he also drew all the poison out of death, just like you would do if you were trying to save someone who had been been snake-bitten. And Paul says, oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus has already drawn it out. So, gosh, I've got to explain all of human history in three minutes here. (laughs) So, what happens when you get this? Well, Mary shows us. You see, Mary first heard the message. She was afraid. And she said, how can this be? And then she kind of acquiesced to the message and said, let it happen to me. But she didn't fully get what was going on until she went and visited her cousin Elizabeth. And as she met Elizabeth, and Elizabeth greeted her in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the baby began leaping in the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then Mary begins to sing. And here in her song, you see a woman fully surrendered, full of faith, ready to be the very uh, woman that would become the mother of God. And she sings this song. And the song is amazing because she sings about God's fulfillment in history. She reveals this isn't just for you. This is for the whole world. This isn't a private faith. This is public activity on the part of God. You know, what she says in the song, if I could just kind of use some words that I like, is she says God is real and heaven has punched a hole in the universe. And she says, she's basically saying there's a crisis coming for every human being. And you're either gonna to have to decide, do you receive this Jesus in my womb in order to have a right relationship with God or, or not? And if you don't, you're gonna serve something other than Jesus, which Hebrews 2 says, you're gonna serve your fear. And the enemy's gonna use your fear as access to manipulate you. But here's the part of love. She says, not only is God working to bring down the oppression, but God is fulfilling a promise he made two thousand years ago. Remember I told you, it's been 500 years since God has spoken through anyone. And suddenly now the angel is speaking to these three individuals, to these shepherds. And Mary is saying, look, we went all this time, 2,000 years, and we thought God wasn't listening and we thought God wasn't at work. But I'm saying to you, he's fulfilling the promise he made 2,000 years ago. And though it took 500 years, he's speaking to us now. <laughs> And here's the part that I want you to get. You see, angels are bound to time. Human beings are bound to time. But God is outside of time. Do you understand for God, every moment is happening at once. So when Jesus was being born in a manger, Jesus was also coming back as the risen Savior and the coming King and bringing about the victory and the transformation of a world from oppression to justice, from a world from poverty to riches, from a a state of not flourishing to a state of thrival. But when he was dying on that cross, at that same moment, God saw you give your life to Christ. And the moment that you go home to be with the Lord, he sees that same moment when he is raised from the dead and he's ascended into heaven and he brings you right into the throne of God and he seats you at the right hand of God. And all these moments for God are happening all at once. And, and let me tell you something, we might be in the midst of COVID, but God already sees the moment when COVID ends. And God already sees every moment of victory, even when you're going through moments of trial and defeat. Because he's not bound by time. He sees time all as one moment. He is always faithful to his promises. And here's what this passage in this story of Christmas means. If Jesus died so that you don't have to pay for your past, if Jesus died and has risen again to be your Savior, then what can death do to you? Now, I told you there was a Christmas trick here. It's okay, friends, for us to say, angels sing. Do you know why? Because in Revelation 5, 9, it says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you. You know what this suggests theologically? That when angels speak, when they speak about Jesus, it sounds like melody, it sounds like music. There's such rhythm in their praise that it sounds like singing. And so I'm asking you, because I've seen this now in so many Christmases that there are people who go through the rituals of Christmas, but Christmas never arrives in their hearts. There's an old Christmas carol, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for Thee. That's what the angels wanna see. Because you see, there's oh so much joy in heaven when we make room in our hearts for the Lord Jesus. Because if Jesus is there, fear is not.
1: Friends, this morning, would you hear that beautiful sound of fear not? I love the idea that even when the angels are speaking, it's so beautiful that it sounds like singing. So would you stand with me this morning as we close out this service? And would you for just a second kind of get a picture in your mind of maybe some of the things that you're afraid of? And then would you let your ears hear that beautiful sound of fear not? Fear not. He is with you. Fear not. He will never leave you. Fear not. He is fulfilling and He has fulfilled. Fear not because there's healing. Fear not because there's provision. Fear not because death has been defeated. So Father, this morning we receive this message of Christmas. We make space in our hearts. We make a home in our hearts to fear not. To remember that you made a way for us and that you are continuing to make a way for us. And so we hold on to that promise today. And we choose to hear a people that will hear above all the noise, the sound of angels singing, fear not. And we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in with us online. It's been so great to worship with you. If you came prepared to give today, we do have an offering box set up in the hallway. You can also give online by visiting risenking.life. If you have little ones in the kids program, they'll be waiting for you out in the lobby. We're going to ask that you exit out these side doors. Don't forget to let us know if you plan to visit us on Christmas Eve for one of our services. You can visit risenking.life to find out more. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week.